If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything that you need all in one place. Let me tell you about it. Anchor has all the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, it can distribute your podcast to all the listening platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It's everything that you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, it is totally free. So, go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Electric Fishing Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, guys. I am so glad that everybody is here. For you guys that do not know, this podcast is also a live stream that happens every Friday night on my YouTube channel, the Alex Rudd Fishing YouTube channel. So you guys can stop by there on Friday night, interact over in the live comment section. We answer questions. We talk about all kinds of topics from bass fishing to I don't know anything else that we can come up with around here, but this podcast is sponsored by monster bass. Monster bass is an awesome company and I am a proud partner with monster bass and I actually get to choose baits that come in the box. Now monster bass is a subscription based box and I know what you're thinking, Alex, it's just like all the rest of those boxes, but you would be wrong. What makes monster bass different is that we are hand picking baits to come in every month's box for the region of the country you live in, as well as the time of year that you are fishing now there will be a link down below so you can go check out the monster bass box and i highly suggest that you do this past month's box was a strike king takeover the box included things like a kvd 1.5 strike king thunder cricket rage crawls rage menaces it even included a kvd jerk bait some of the new ned baits and we are going to do more takeovers like that as well as pairing with the best companies in the industry to give you guys exclusive colors exclusive baits and all kinds of awesome stuff so go hit that link down below and give those people a look because they support this podcast and when you support them they support me and it just keeps on rolling 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 now Let's get rolling up in this mug. I am so glad to be back here on a Friday night. The comment section is already full of all kinds of comments. We've kind of been talking back and forth, back and forth about all kinds of stuff. So um, this week is going to be a fun podcast because, like I said, I'm going to be joined by my good buddy, Nathan Ragsdale. He fishes for the University of Georgia's fishing team. He is an awesome guy, really good friend of mine. I've known him now for probably four or five years. Uh, we were both part of G-Rod. Um, until we both left there and i mean nathan has just been an awesome dude to know really really good fisherman i can't wait to get him on here he has a lot of skills and a lot of um I, you know attributes that i don't have um and a reason for that is living in georgia he fishes like lanier a lot and so he's fishing a lot of clear water deep water spots that kind of stuff so it's gonna be really awesome to get his take on winter bass fishing and kind of get his perspective on all that stuff but before we get into that let's review my week so my week was pretty interesting last week ben was here i uh, went to a local lake deep clear water great place to crank um, and the weather was nasty we had highs in the low 40s 
raining, sleeting kind of conditions, wind blowing really, really hard. And so, you know, we had to get out there and grind it out, but we grinded it out and we caught some good fish. No giants, but um, a couple good three pound smallmouth and then some other keeper largemouth and caught all those on a Spro rock crawler. Now, tomorrow I'm heading out again. Same kind of conditions. The only thing is minus the rain, which I'm looking forward to. I can deal with the cold. I mean, I've got some of the best gear in the world through AFCO, so I can throw on enough layers that I stay warm and that kind of stuff. But when it starts at raining, man, you guys know as well as I do, you think you're tough, but you are not tough when that wind's blowing and stuff like that. And the place I'm going, it's usually about 45 degrees colder than home, too. You head a little bit up north and raise just a little bit in elevation, so it makes it just a little bit colder. But I'm planning to tackle tomorrow again. Spro Rock Crawler is going to be my go-to. Bethany's actually going to be fishing with me, so I'm going to let her toss around a Ned rig, maybe like a Bandit 200 or even a Shad Wrap. I'll probably tie her on a Shad Wrap and let her throw it on a spinning rod because it has a great way to catch fish. And then I'm also testing some new crankbaits. I'm going to see what they can do. I've I've got a few crankbaits I've been wanting to test that I've been hearing about, and I've just not picked up any yet. And so I picked a few of those up, and we're going to go test them out, as well as testing out some new colors in the uh, Spro Rock Crawler. So... Hey, Spro, if you ever want to send me some rock crawlers, I'd really appreciate it. Um, I, I'm kind of getting tired of paying 10 bucks a piece for them, but I will because they work. I mean, it's like those Dangon Vision 110s. I pay 25 bucks a piece for those things, and they just they just work. Um, but I would highly suggest the rock crawler to anybody. I personally have not had the bill breaking issue. I know that's been like a big thing um, is the bills breaking and all that kind of stuff, but I've I've never had that issue. I broke some rock crawlers, but it wasn't from the bills breaking. It's from me throwing them up against the rocks and stuff like that. So, all right, let's go over here in the comment section, guys. If I've missed anything, um, please just re-ask it because it's just me by myself tonight. I've not kind of got Ben moderating the comment section over here, picking stuff out. So, so I'm going to try to keep up with everything. So my water temps right now, depending on the lake that you're on, but the lake I'm going to tomorrow, I've been, you know, getting anywhere between 48, in 46 degrees um kind of depends where you're at if you're further back in a pocket obviously it's going to be a little bit warmer more main lake 46 45 degrees and uh it's been it's been really cold i mean for east tennessee that is some really chilly water 45 degrees is kind of is where it kind of stops at i've seen it colder for sure i mean i've seen lakes freeze around here for the first time last year or two years ago now um but uh that's that's some cold water for these fish but i can still get them to bite some kind of reaction style bait so all right yeah don't slap them on the water don't slap any any good plug on the water it's a good way to crack them especially balsa plugs you can snap them bad boys right in half when you slap them on the water so i always just kind of pull it up there and pull anything that's on the hooks off so oh lordy lordy um yeah throw now this is a really good kind of point right here Josh Ingram said, throw the 3XD if they stop hitting the rock crawler. That is something I do a whole lot is mix up the different crankbaits that I throw. Because every crankbait has a different sound. It has a different wiggle. It has a different wobble. It has a different hydrosonic signature. Everything about almost every crankbait is completely different. Even if you get the same crankbait from the same brand, sometimes each one will have little nuances that the other one doesn't have. But I have found that if you go through... 
um, you know, a series of crankbaits. I kind of have like a series of crankbaits that I go through and choose from, starting with the rock crawler, then I go to the 3XD, then I go to the Bandit 200, Bandit 300, and then if those don't work, I've got a few sneaky, sneaky baits that I can pull out on them. But usually one of those three will get them pretty quick. Um, there are some balsa baits that I have that are pretty good. I got, like I said, some sneaky stuff from some JDM brands that I like to get out and go through as well. But, you, you know, really filtering through those those different kinds of crankbaits, all those different sounds and all that kind of stuff. You can go back through an area and pick up fish that didn't bite before. It's the same concept as, you know, like a two tap shad and then a regular red eye shad. The two tap shad has a completely different sound than the red eye shad, even though essentially it's the same exact bait. You can go through an area and pick up those fish. I say that about the thunder cricket and the jackhammer as well. So, uh, the bass and pasture. What is the carry on the new Strike King braided fishing line? I'm honestly not sure. I would have to look it up. I want to say it's eight, maybe six. I'm not really sure. I'd have to look it up. I got some already. I'm waiting for my other big order to come in. And honestly, already, I love that stuff. Um, I had some 65 pound braid that I frog fished with that did really, really well. And then I've been running the 20 on my spinning rod, running a leader on it and i've been enjoying it a ton a ton someone asked is it jerkbait time yet so i'll tell you the truth guys you can catch fish on a jerkbait around me this time of year but i've found that the jerkbait works so much more in the spring i don't know why i don't know if it's just a me thing or a confidence thing or what it is but I always feel like springtime is when I get bit on the jerkbait. In winter, I just need to stick to the crankbaits and stuff like that. Um, it's a really, really strange thing. I caught that big striper on that crankbait or that jerkbait the other day, but that's just because he was up there schooling and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I'm not really sure what the deal with that is, but I just don't feel like I get a ton of jerkbaits on or a ton of bites on the jerkbait this time of year. So what water temp, why not throw a glide bait? So my fish really stop eating a glide bait once that water gets below 55 degrees. Anything below 55 degrees, you know, you will get some followers. They'll come out and investigate it, um, but they just not really going to want to eat it. They kind of just come up. They're like, yep, that's something um, not aggressive at all. Just I call them kind of just lazy lazy swim um is what i call it they just kind of swim up behind it like yeah it's here i needed to go check it out it was so big it was in my house that kind of stuff but mm, you know not gonna not gonna eat it so i really 55 degrees is kind of that that range where i i'll fish that jerk bait and stuff like that so oh what do you think about slower on a spinner bait on the bottom in the winter it's a great way to get a bite. I mean, you know, again, depending on the lake that you're on, I know that's a really big thing, like an Oklahoma Grand Lake area. Those, um, a lot of those guys throw those big single willow leaf spinner baits. I mean, Colorado blade spinner baits and slow roll them around. You know, I'm sure that's something that work here where I'm going. The water's super, super clear. So they don't really react to a spinner bait super well. And a lot of those guys that are fishing that, you know, they're fishing those like Grand Lake. They can be super, super dirty. And so they fish those big Colorado blade spinner baits to get that big thump to really get those fish's attention. So what pound line should I put on my swim bait setup? Braid or fluoro fluke said no braid. So I'm going to go coal polymer. 
Um, definitely not braid. The reason for that is braid has zero stretch. And if you were to backlash that, you would be amazed how four ounces going that direction and that line going back this direction can cause that line to snap and your glide bait goes flying. So I run cold polymer because it's got a lot more stretch. So if I do backlash it, you know, you've got that that impact resistance that that line's not going to snap and that bait's not going to go flying off. And then too, it's got a little bit more stretch because when you're fishing those eight foot, eight and a half foot extra heavy rods, even though they're made for big swim baits, they're made to have a parabolic bend, they still have got to have a lot of backbone. And so it really helps to drive those hooks in. It makes that rod a little bit more parabolic. I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those deals that um, it compensates for that, that heavy action on that rod. So Yes, please go hit that like button for me, guys. Um, everybody that's listening on the YouTube, watching on the YouTube channel, please hit that like button. It helps to drive this thing up to the top and to uh, to let everybody see it. Terry Pettiford, dude, I saw that you're at the fishing show. Yeah, I said screw that this year. Um, I'm going fishing. I'm not going to pay to go into a place and walk around at, and look at a bunch of fishing stuff. Um, there's some good deals and stuff over there, but I just... I couldn't pull myself to do it this year. I, honestly, guys, I don't enjoy the whole fishing show thing. I don't really want to go walk a, or walk around on a hard concrete floor all day and, and look at a bunch of stuff that I'm probably not going to buy or don't need. So, And a lot of those rods, the deals that you're getting on those rods, um, they're factory seconds. So there was something like a little wrong with it. They may have misprinted the label on the bottom of it or a guide was wrapped a little funny, and that's why they sell those rods at those deals. Now, it doesn't mean they're bad rods. Doesn't mean that at all. I'm just saying they're factory seconds. They're not like the one that you would buy at the Bass Pro. It would be something else. So, so Alex, I fish the same lakes as you do, Norris, Lion, Cherokee. Do you find fishing is tougher with braid around here since the water is so clear? Um, depends on the lake that I'm on. I mean, Loudon in the spring when the water comes back up and it muddies up, I'll go flip 65 pound braid. Um, I flip 65 pound braid most of the summer on a lake like Loudon because there's just a bunch of junk in the water. So um, now, you know, that being said, you go to a place like Norris, it can be hard to catch fish on braid there. I mean, for the most part, I'm going to be fishing fluorocarbon, but on Norris too, I'll go flip trees with 65 pound braid and not really have any issue with it. The way I look at it is when you're doing like the close combat kind of stuff, frog fishing, flipping that kind of stuff, it is, it's easy to fish that braid and not really have to worry about it. But anytime I'm away from that kind of stuff and I feel like I can fish fluorocarbon, I'm going to, I'm going to fish that fluorocarbon. So What's up, Bass and Beer? Dude, congrats on that kayak tournament win. That is absolutely awesome. Um, I watched that video the other day, and makes me makes me happy to see you go out there in that bona fide in that river and whoop up on those old boys. They've whooped up on me a few times, and they don't like to be beat, so it's good to see you out there beating up on them. I really, really like that. So, but... Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna fish a few kayak tournaments this year. I'm planning on fishing um, a lot of the ten cat stuff. Um, Chickamauga is on February eighth, so I want to go do that. But then I'm also planning on fishing one of the KBFs and at least one of the bass ones. Um, the bass ones are just really steep on the entry fees. Two hundred fifty bucks is a little expensive for my taste. Um, but those KBFs, they're not too bad. I think they're a hundred dollars a piece or one hundred and fifty. Um, so I'm going to enter at least one of those and, and, and see what we can get done. I really, really enjoy the kayak fishing tournaments. Um, I, I don't like boat tournaments. I don't know why I don't like the culture around that. Um, but I do love the culture around kayak fishing. 
everybody just seems to be so chilled out. Like, you know, obviously there's competition. People get all butt hurt and stuff like that, but it's just a lot more chilled out. Like no one's, you know, all jacked up and like ready to fight over something stupid. And, you know, everybody's just super inviting, super nice. And um, I, I'll dig it. I dig it. Eric got me into those this past year and I fished four, I think four or five. I enjoyed every single one of them that I fished in. So, all right. Um, Rick said that Monster Bass is going to be doing something with Tourney X this year. Yeah, uh, we're working on that. We're going to try to figure out how to maybe do a tournament hosted by Tourney X. That way we can do a length tournament. Um, the only problem with that is is we everybody would have to have some kind of Tourney X approved catch board or something like that. Um, so, you know, that's kind of an investment on everybody's front end. But then there's a lot of kayak anglers that would do do well with that as well. So, Yes, Bass and Bear, that KBF is going to be here. It's going to be loud and teleco and all the rivers connecting. So I'm definitely fishing that one. Summer, rivers, me, smallies. Makes me happy. I feel like I can do well on that. Feels like I can do well. So, yeah, guys. So um, hook me up with some questions about winter bass fishing. Is there anything that you guys want to know in particular? Um, I know for me, obviously, I'm going to be doing a lot of crankbait fishing. It's just something I have a lot of comfort and confidence in doing. I know like kind of what to look for, what to go find and just be able to go catch those fish. Um, so I do know that we could talk about that. Like, what do I look for when I go to the lake? So when I go to the lake and I, you know, any lake, I approach a new lake or I'm approaching a lake I've known before. I'm looking for main lake access. I'm looking for current. I'm looking for wind and I'm looking for s- gradually sloping banks. I don't really... I say that I'm looking for either gradually sloping banks or I'm looking for bluffs really no in between. If I know it's an area where the current is pushing in and it's going to be an area where fish can stage, I'm kind of looking for that more gradually sloping bank kind of stuff. Those areas where those fish can move up and down, um, they can follow the bait around, they can push bait up shallow, they can pull back off deep, whatever they want to do within that area. And, you know, I'm looking for hard bottom. Um, I don't really fish a ton of grass this time of year just because there's not a ton of grass in the lakes that I go like to fish and crank on. Um, So I really focused on that good kind of slate shell rock anywhere at shelves. I'm looking for those shelves. And even when I'm fishing a bluff, I'm looking for those shelves, those stair steps, anywhere that those fish can move up and down in between, something that those crawdads can get on top of, those bait fish can orient to, and anything that I can bring that crankbait down, that's what I'm looking for. And I'm also looking for places, like I said, that that current is pushing in. Now, wind plays a big factor into that, too. If the wind's blowing into it, it's going to create that that current and anywhere I can find current wind blowing into it, it's going to position those fish and you're going to be able to go out there and, and crank a few up. So have I ever used a ledge hog bait? Yeah, I've used a couple of them. They're uh they're big old, they're big old, uh, big old blades for sure. And then some ginormous, I mean, ginormous silver buddy kind of, kind of baits for sure. What about suspended bass in timber? Crank them. Crank a crank a rock crawler down through that, that timber and see what happens. A lot of times you can get those fish to react to that. Um, a lot of the bluffed out stuff that I fish um, earlier in the winter, a lot of those videos I put out, you know, that's straight up and down bluff kind of stuff with just little stair steps down. And that timber lays on those stair steps and those bass, they suspend all in those trees. 
And as you crank that crankbait down, what you would notice is I started to bring that crankbait back up. Those fish would come up under it, and I would hook a lot of them in the top of the head. And what that was is where those fish would react to that. They would come off that timber where they were suspended and come up under that bait and eat it. And uh, that's how I caught a lot of those fish is that's how I catch a lot of the suspended fish. Another thing is like a deep diving jerk bait. You can find a jerk bait that'll get hit the tops of those trees. You can crack that thing down to the top of that tree and let it suspend and you'd be amazed um, what's going on. So are you still cranking right now? Even if you had dead calm bluebird skies. So it kind of depends. Um, yes and no. I mean, I've seen days when you can go down a bank and it, you would think these fish are never going to eat a crankbait with the skies the way they are but they still eat a crankbait. In those scenarios, a lot of the times I'm going to crank through an area and I'll probably go back through that area with something like a jerkbait or chrome color jerkbait, um, a chrome color lipless, something I can slow down with a little bit more. I love to throw a chrome lipless on those days and not fish it, not just steadily reel it, but just kind of fish it like a jig, just kind of popping it, you know, drag it a little bit, just let it sit, pop it, drag it a little bit, and just be really, really subtle really with it, really, really slow. You'd be amazed what would happen. Same thing with like a chrome jerkbait. Um, just crack that thing really hard and then just let it sit. And a lot of the times you can get those bigger bass to come and investigate, come, you know, kind of look at those things. And, and when you crack it or when you drag it or when you pop it real hard, you know, off the bottom, you'd be amazed how many fish would react to that. I feel like the chrome's really important on days like that, though, because it makes that flash and they can't really get a good look at it, and it's a more natural kind of deal. If you look at bait fish, they're shiny, they're flashy, they're chromey, and especially around here, it never really gets cold enough that they change color and get dull. Um, they kind of just stay shiny all year long, and so throwing something that looks like those bait fish will will definitely get bit. So, any success on the seven inch Kitek? I've never thrown it. Um, that's a big Kitek. I've never thrown it personally. I'm more of the four and a half inch size. That and the Rage Swimmer are my two favorite, like soft body swim baits to to throw. And and you know, I usually throw them in the rivers and stuff like that. So hold on, just one second. Here's my boy Nathan needing the link. Let's see. Let's see, I emailed it to you. I emailed it to you. All right, Let's see if we can get Nathan in here. Get Nathan in here. All right, um, let's go back, go back, go back, go back. Let's see. Any less expensive options to the Mega Bass? Strike King. Strike King's jerk baits are absolutely amazing. Um, that Rapala Shadow Wrap is a really good jerk bait. Dual Realis is cheaper. It's still not cheap by any means, but the Dual Realis jerk baits are amazing. Um, I love those things. I'll, I'll just be totally honest. That's kind of like that sneaky, sneaky stuff. No one is really throwing that duo a whole, whole ton. And it is just an amazing, amazing jerk bait. Very well balanced. All that duo stuff is kind of what I would say is, um, is mega bass quality, but you don't have to pay those mega bass prices. So, all right. So, you know, you have partners and all that. Uh, but have you ever used Dixie customs? All my buddies and I fish high school tournaments, we use them, and I'm thinking about replacing my arsenal with them. Thoughts? Um, my buddy Eric used to fish with them, and he got rid of all of his and got G-Rods after I introduced him to G-Rods. Um, I don't know kind of what that says about them, but um, I've seen them. I mean, 
from my understanding, he's using cash and blanks, the same blanks that cash and uses, and then he's just wrapping them. So essentially I, I believe I'm not going to say like 100% sure. Essentially you're just, you're just uh, using a cash and rod at that point, but he's wrapping it with the Dixie custom kind of stuff, but I'm not sure. I'm not, don't like quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure he's just using those cash and blanks, which I'm not sure where those blanks get made. I think they're made in the U S somewhere. So that would make me think that maybe they're made, it's the same place that the Falcon rods are made because Falcon makes a rod in the USA as well. I mean, I know Kissler does too. So I would have to say that they probably all get their blanks from the same set of distributors or buyers or whatever, you know, manufacturers, I guess would be the best word to say, unless they're buying them from a distributor for the manufacturer. I'm not really sure, but I think all those rods, the, the cash in, the Kistler and the um, the Falcon rods are all made. All the blanks are made in the same place. I'm not really sure though. Don't don't like totally quote me on that. So, have I ever tried the six cents curve or the finesse curve? Yeah, I've tried the curve. This is a question I get um, quite often, and um, it's one of those baits. Like I definitely think it has its place if I'm fishing a little bit shallower water. But I found that a lot of my fish, I got to get something that dives just a little bit deeper. And so that rock crawler is kind of my deal there. That curve, there's something about it that I just can't catch fish on it. I've caught fish on it, but it just doesn't outperform like a bandit or, you know, something like that. Like if I'm in that situation, I'm going to pick up either a bandit or a wiggle wart or even a 3XD. And if I want to go a little bit deeper, I'm going to pick up that rock crawler and, um, I just, I don't know. I just don't like it compared to other baits. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad bait. You know, and that's just my experience. I mean, I was talking to another guy, you know, he said a lot of my lakes are a lot shallower. They're a lot sandier. They got a little bit more grass in them. And, um, I, you know, he was talking about how that bait outperforms a rock crawler in his experience. So play with it. I don't know. I mean, it just depends on how your lake's set up. So, yeah, Spencer Cox it doesn't mean he's making his blanks. Like he can't, I, I highly doubt that Dwayne is, is making his blanks in his basement. That's not really how that works. Um, I know for a fact, he doesn't make his blanks in his basement. He's buying his blanks from somebody and then putting all the components on them. He's putting his own guides, wrapping his guides, you know, picking the real seats and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. You know, you got to figure out, I just ask him, just be like, Hey man, where do you get your blanks from? So, Let's see here. All right, here we go. Kissler Rods uses North Fork composites. North Fork composites. I don't know anything about them, but there you go. That's where where they're getting their blanks from. So, so I'm sure there's maybe one, two, maybe three blank manufacturers um, in America that makes all the blanks for American-made rods, quote-unquote. And then some of them actually buy the blanks from China and then put all the components on them in America. So it's kind of like one of those deals when you see, you know, a company will say, um, you know, manufactured in China, but assembled in America, it's kind of the same deal. Um, but I'm not really sure about the American blank companies, but when I say blank, I don't think a lot of people know what I mean by blank. The blank is literally just the rod with absolutely nothing on it. No tip top, no guides, no real seat, no anything on it whatsoever and so 
like it's just the Rob Blake, just the Rob Blake. So, so Norfolk is Gary Loomis. So that means that they're probably made in Washington, right? Isn't that where his manufacturing plant is at? Is in Washington? I think I think that's right. I'm not really sure, but all right. Nathan's here. Let's hope. Let's hope this works. Nathan, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm good, bud. I'm good. Now, you're uh, where are you at? You somewhere in Texas, Louisiana, somewhere in between? Where are you at? I am hopping on I-20. Um, I guess past Shreveport, headed towards Monroe. So still in Louisiana. There you go. There you go. Well, I've uh, I've hopped you up here, man. I have to say, I, I got to introduce you as the prettiest person that I know. Probably the prettiest man that I know. Oh, that's so sweet of you. I, I know. I know. I mean, is this not not many guys as good looking as you are, man. I mean, it's like Luke Bryan or something. I mean, you just you just I don't know how you get all the ladies, right? Uh, I mean, it's funny to go around at Georgia, I'd say, but <laughs> I love I, it. I keep I, I take my percentage, my fair share. There you go. There you go. I dig it. I dig it. Hey, well, I'm not as lucky as you. I don't have Bethany. I know, man. I know. It's uh, I I, I hammered down a good one when I hammered that one down. I kicked my punt coverage, is what I tell everybody. <laughs> so she's gonna go. She's gonna go stand in the uh, 39 degree weather with me tomorrow and try to catch a bass. So I think I got a pretty good one. Oh, dude, I'm so over that. Let me tell you. <sighs> I'm telling you, dude. Me too. That's just—it's getting to the sucky part of the year right now, too. I was saying February is like the literal shittiest part of the year when it comes to fishing here in Tennessee. Oh my god, dude! It's absolutely brutal. I hate it. it. I hate January. Yep, January, February, and then March rolls around and it makes up for all of it, dude. Because that's when they start hammering. Yep. So, yep. all right, bud. So you're heading back from Toledo, Ben. Uh huh. You, you were down there for a college tournament, right? Yep, the first uh, Bassmaster event of the year. Nice, nice. So, how did it go? Tell tell me about your week, dude. How did it How did it set up? How did you feel? And and kind of what was your game plan going into it? And how'd you execute? So, man, it, it, when I when we got the schedule early this fall, um, you know, we we start on Toledo, then we go to Smith Lake, then we go to Hartwell, and then Cumberland, and if anybody knows anything about me and just like my college career so far, I've never qualified for a national championship with Bassmaster off largemouth. Uh, and it just uh, looking at that schedule, we knew Toledo Ben was going to be our like Achilles heel, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so there's two ways you can qualify for nationals with bass. And one is through the points they take, I believe it's the top 25 teams in points over the season overall, um, or you make a top 10% in the individual events. And, you know, just as a backup, in case I don't, you know, say I come in 26th, because there's usually there's a 250 boat field, um, you know, I really always want to try to at least stay in contention to make the points to qualify for the championship. Because at the end of the day, that's what all of us are fishing for on the college deal is a chance to make it to the classic and have our open seat, our first open seasons paid for from bass, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so as far as how it went, dude, I think I, I survived it. Uh, we finished 107th out of 250. But, you know, 
middle of the pack, I guess. We beat a little over half the field. Uh, but, dude, just it, – it, I was pulling my hair out all week because I was just so confused, man. We never figured out, like, what stage the fish were in. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just weird. Like, so we left Athens Friday night at 11 o'clock and got to the lake, um, like, around noon Saturday. Um, and so we were like, dude, you know, we got the afternoon. So we dumped the boat. First thing I noticed was water was 61 degrees. I was like, sweet. You know, I've been looking at the weather for the past month and the tournament was held out of Manny, Louisiana. Um, and it'd been like anywhere from 60 to like high seventies for the past mm-hmm. couple of weeks. So we, you know, I figured the water would be warm and just, I've never fished this time of year in Louisiana, but I, you know, 61 degree water. I was like, you know, there should be a wave of pre-spawn fish up, you know, in the creek, secondary points, channel swings, you know, little humps, staging areas and stuff. Um, and so that's really what I focused on this week was like that five to 15 foot range, just classic textbook pre-spawn stuff. You know, the first point, the point that comes out and splits two spawning areas or something, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, is that how you fish back home usually? I mean, yeah, I as mean, as far as pretty small stuff goes. Yeah, I mean, especially like when I'm down, like on the Tennessee River, anywhere that there's there's grass, right? I'm gonna go yep. look for those those staging areas, those areas like you say that you know it's two points that come together to make a bowl that goes back into a big spawning pocket. And if there's grass yep. on that or a shell bar, that's what I'm gonna be focusing on. You know what I mean? So I mean, I, I definitely agree with that for sure. Yeah, and speaking of grass, I think that was one thing that was weird about this week is, like, nobody could find any grass on Toledo. <clears throat> the lake was seven feet down, uh, which also threw a wrench and everything because it was just – it was tough to run, dude, like, in practice. First off, the lake's giant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know about you, but when when we're just thrown into these lakes all across the country we've never been to – I try to break it down in three sections. You've got the upper, the mid, and the lower end, right? Mm-hmm. And just from tournament knowledge and whatnot, I guess textbook-wise, it's, you know, usually the north end of the lake warms up the quickest um, for a couple reasons, but one being that typically that's the dirtier water and all the particles in the water, you know, they hold or they have the ability to hold heat more so than just gin clear water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's where I started. My practice was up there, but dude, there's so much timber in Toledo. They've got it cut in like a grid pattern, but say you just want to go and fish like the point across the lake from where you're at, mm-hmm. you might have to run 20 minutes down the lake, cut over and then run back up just to fish one point. Mm-hmm. Um, so dude, it was just crazy. It was unlike any lake I've ever been on. Yeah. Um, but long story short, I I was looking too far ahead, dude. I think, and me and some buddies were talking about this, and tell me if you agree. And I know everybody's got all kind of different theories on what bass do, but I think they've got two ways of just telling what's up. Mm-hmm. A water temperature, mm-hmm. which is the obvious one. Um, and like I said, when we got there, it was like sixty-one, right? And mm-hmm. and I. It didn't even drop that much. We had a couple days of where it didn't even get over 40 degrees. 
but the water today we were seeing 55 57 so you're only mm-hmm. looking at you know five degree temperature drop which is substantial but 55 degrees you still should have active um you know pre-spawners mm-hmm. in my opinion mm-hmm. at least back home that's how it is you know clark's hill dude water hit 55 dude you go throw a trap in a chatterbait and you get your arm broke yeah but anyways after hearing how people caught them yesterday and and today we were too far ahead because it seems like they're in like 15 to 30 feet like mm-hmm. on the main river and bro i didn't even look at that i didn't even think to look at that stuff yeah yeah. Which, going back to my point of the other way that I think bass, you know, just their movements is based on time of day, you know, just mm-hmm. the length of the day. Mm-hmm. They know the days are still short. It's still winter. We're mm-hmm. not, we're not leaving. Yep. As a, whatever that movie, you know, that scene I'm talking about. No. Oh, uh, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. We're not yeah. leaving. I'm not leaving. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, dude, I I 1000% agree with you, especially on the point of time of day. Um, you know, if you look at a bass's brain, it's 90% visual, right? So, its yeah. entire in, entire life is driven by what it can see, whether it's eating, running away from something, screwing something. I mean, dude, anything like when it should move up to spawn, when it should get out of danger, everything's dependent on those eyes, right? And if you look at all of nature, really, I mean, you look at deer when they rut, you look at, you know, birds when they migrate, all those kinds of things, you know, it's all driven by instinct, which is driven by the time of day, right? And so I believe, you know, this week we had no moon. We we were coming on, uh, coming off a moon, going on to a new moon, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And our days are just now starting to get where they're getting a little bit longer. Like it got dark tonight at 630 instead of 530. And I think, you know, you give those bass down there, even though it's 61 degrees, you give those bass two, three more weeks and you go back down there and you'd probably be on the bank flipping a white crawl trying to catch bedding fish, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that was really just my downfall, dude. I, I, I way overlooked that portion, like what you said, man. I think they don't, I, don't, I think even though the water was 61, they know there's still potential for that, for it to get really cold. Yep. And they, you know, they weren't doing it. So yep. that was me being very stubborn. Um, also, the thing was coming into it, like, dude, I, I'm being from Lanier and just my style of fishing, I'm a deep guy. And yeah. like last year on Norman and stuff, there's just been too many of these like early, dirty water, uh, largemouth based tournaments. I've got my butt kicked by guys fishing shallow when I'm trying to force a deep bite. And so I, I came into it being like, all right, I'm going to fish shallow, like pre-spawn. Woo. Yeah. And turns out like I got my butt waxed by guys fishing deep. And I was, I was pretty frustrated at that because that's my deal. And I totally, I totally just missed it by coming into it with preconceived notions. Yep. Yep. Um, dude and that kills me sometimes i mean like i'll get something set in my mind and like and i just want to run with it i want that to work for me right and like and when it doesn't work like my wheels start spinning and i'm like what do i do what do i do like i'm not willing to go do the thing that i know i probably need to be doing you know and, and actually catch some fish but i mean dude hey 
here's the deal. This one didn't set up for you. You know what I mean? Like, especially being on a lake you've never been to. And I mean, that run in a lake like that, one that's, you know, one of those you got to go and cut around and do all that kind of stuff. It's like Gunnersville, man. I mean, you can go, I want to go fish this pocket, and it's just right across the lake. And if you could run straight across there, it'd take you two and a half minutes, but you got to run down and cut around a buoy because you'll run up on a, you know, a spot that's a foot deep or something like that. So that's just, that's crazy crap, dude. It's crazy crap. So, but what's the next one? Uh, well, for me or for college for, I guess for you, what's your next one? So I've got a, uh, the BFL on Lanier Saturday and then after that, we've got the FLW College on Seminole, and then we have the next Bassmaster, which is on Smith Lake. There you go. So, there you go. You feel pretty confident with those, I would guess. Yeah, except Seminole. I, I fished it twice before, um, but that was back when my partner, Wesley, he's like from Seminole, and um, we've we I just co-angled those because he knows the lake. We used his boat and stuff. And that lake's a lot like Toledo in the fact, like, there's just the boat lanes and all that, yeah. all the timber and whatnot. So I I have no clue where we fished in the past, to be quite honest. But I'm looking forward to it because I know it can be a, just a slugfest. Yeah. So, where is Seminole? Yes. That's southern, southern Alabama? No, it's on the border of Florida and Georgia. Border of Florida and so, Georgia. Okay. Yeah. I think half. it's like half and half. Really? So I tell you, man. I, like, go ahead. It should be like a Thunder Cricket deal, you know. Once again, now I could screw myself up again, but they should be staging up at that point in two yeah. weeks down there. Yeah. There's a lot of grass in that lake, right? Tons of it. Yeah, Tons yeah. That'll probably be one of those deals. Is just finding the right kind of grass. You know what I mean? Like. Whether it's two types of grass mixing, or if it's just a little bit deeper, a little bit shallower, I'm sure you. If you find that good grass that they want to be in, I'm sure you'll be able to hammer or even a hard spot in the grass. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I know that's something that happens down here a lot. Is like you know you go to Chickamauga or even Watts Bar. I mean you've got to just you'll go through miles of grass and then all of a sudden you'll find a patch and it's you know hydrilla and coontail mix and there's a hard spot in the middle of it and they're all piled up. You know it's just crazy stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It, and like Seminole for the rest of my season, that'll be like if I had to rank one it, uh, potential for me to do bad again, because I'm not a grass fisherman. Like that's why I feel like hey, dude, every time I go to your backyard, Chickamauga, mm-hmm. struggle, struggle, bus. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's just one of those things I've got to work on and go into it with an open mind of you know, hey. I'm at least going to learn something this week. So Yeah, for sure. Well, you need to get up here this summer when it's so <coughs> damn hot. We can't be out past 10 o'clock, and we'll do some grass fishing for sure, dude. Yeah. It's so. just, I find grass lakes, like, super overwhelming because, like you mm-hmm. just said, like Seminole's got – it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so oh, I think – yeah. It, like, I guess people always – you know, we talk about all the electronics and stuff we have. But if there's one thing I can't live without, it's a good map. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I think that's extremely important on a grass lake because take Seminole. Like, I want to be looking for the, the two foot depth change of a ditch within a flat of grass, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, there's several areas like that on Chickamauga that, I mean, honestly, man, you know, there's the whole entire flat is an average of four foot and you'll find a ditch that's in five and a half and there'll be eight pounders laying in that ditch. And I mean, dude, it's just knowing where those ditches and where those hard hard spots are at. And I mean, it is honest to God is overwhelming, but the deal is, is once you find the fish, I feel like in my experience, you found the fish and you could literally make circles in that area and, and, you know, catch fish and sit down and eat a sandwich and stand back up and go back through and catch fish and catch fish that never even saw your bait the first time. You know what I mean? Like it's just that. Yeah, piled in there, man. I mean, that's what I did last year on Chickamauga. The biggest bag I caught last year was that 26-pound bag. And, I mean, it was one of those deals, man. I went – it literally was a 300-yard stretch, and I went back and forth in that 300-yard stretch about 10 times. And the 10th time through there, man, I caught a a six-and-a-half-pounder. And I literally probably thrown at that fish 12 times, and it just never, you know, never saw my bait. Yep. So, it's crazy, man. I feel like spots like that, dude, they're, I mean, if you're there at the right time of year, they're constant hourly, minutely, they're coming, mm-hmm. like, you know, they're coming mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. And then too, a lot of those fish, I think that were in that particular spot were very residential. Um, I, I think that they just live there all year. And when the water gets drawn down, yep. they'll go get in those ditches and yep. just live in like eight foot of water. And then as soon as the water comes back up, they go, you know, distribute through that grass and they just chill out waiting for something to swim over their head. Yep. And I think that's hard too because, you know, when you go into a lake you've never been to before and you go into an area and you look at it, you go, okay, are these fish residential or are these fish, you know, coming in here and leaving? You know what I mean? That's so hard to do on a brand new lake. If you've not been yep. there several times, you don't know what's residential and what's not. So, yeah. Yeah. And dude, dude like, that's just something else I, I was thinking about this week and I want to get your opinion on it. Mm hmm. And, in my opinion, so let's just take a scenario, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say, let's say last week when it was hot on Toledo, mm-hmm. um, some of those fish, you know, started to move up, whatever. Because mm-hmm. I looked at, I looked online at tournament results and stuff, and there was a bag last week apparently that was weighed in twenty six pounds that was caught on a spinnerbait of shallow. Mm-hmm. So, let's say that. Just take a pocket. Say there was some fish around the bank, you know, and less than five foot. We had a, just a major cold front here, dude. I mean, it was brutal. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, a bass is just going to move out into the drain or the ditch of that pocket, which, by the way, there is endless standing timber, right? So they have, they have all the cover they needed mm-hmm. and that standing timber. If I'm a big bass and I was on the bank, 26 pound bag caught on a spinner bait and a cold front hit. I'm just going to slide off into that ditch and either suspend or sit with my belly on the bottom around that standing timber before I freaking hightail like to a point or like ways away. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, and, yeah, yeah. And it was just so cr- like I that's something I really don't know. And I feel like I feel like nobody knows, and I guess I guess it's probably different for every individual bass, honestly. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what is like? It's just it was just so weird. Like in my mind, I'm just like, okay, I know, or supposedly the tournament was one shallow on a spinnerbait, 
So, dude, I went and bought like ounce or spinner baits with a big old Colorado blade, and I was trying to fish the drains of the pockets because, mm-hmm. in my mind, you had warm water, cold front hit. I'm thinking the first place they're going to go is in the drain or the secondary point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, dude. I mean, what do you think? How how far do you think fish go? And that even goes back to conservation. The guys talk about, especially on Lanier, our only mega ramp is at the very north end of the lake, and all the big spots are caught south. And you mm-hmm. take them 50 miles up the lake. Some guys are like, yeah, man, they swim on down. I'm like, no, they don't. There's yeah. no way. So, so I actually read a study one time and then watched a couple things about this. And I believe there's two kinds of fish, two kinds of bass anyway. You got your residential bass and then you got your, your more migratory bass, right? Yeah. And I think for the most part, like when you talk about, you know, the 26-pound bag caught up shallow, those fish are your residential fish. And they live yeah. in that area their whole entire life, and they don't want to ever really move. The most they'll move is really more up and down. Like, they'll just follow the water down. Or they'll live in yeah. an area where they have access to deeper water. I think way too many people get it in their mind when, like, you know, all the pros will say, oh, man, if they got access to deeper water. It's not like a fish is going to crack off and go from 4 to 25 foot. It's too hard on its body. It really is. Yeah. And so I think those fish go more from like five to eight foot, right? Like you said, they go get in that ditch. But when you're dealing with a ditch that's full of standing timber, it's literally too many targets, right? They have literally too much to sit on. And that's like what's overwhelming about grass fishing is like, you know, you'll hit a grass flat. Well, if you've got a two mile grass flat, screw that place. Go find the place that has (coughs) patches of grass that are, you know, a hundred yards apart because I feel like isolated stuff because I tell people all the time. And I've said this before that like, if you look at a flat and there's five isolated patches of grass on it, you got to imagine that flat is like, is like the desert, right? And those little grass patches are are oasis in that desert. Because Mm -hmm. if those fish can get to those grass patches, they have everything that satisfies every instinct that they have. They can feel protected, they've got access to food, and they've got access to oxygen, right? Yeah. And so that's what that bass is instinctually looking for. Whenever there's like a massive cold front, they go into self-preservation mode. Their their instincts tell them, hey, we're going to have a, a period here that we don't know what could happen. The water could get drastically colder, it could get drastically hotter. They don't know, right? It's all instinctual. Like it's not like a bass is rationalizing, going the the weather's about to get bad. But their instincts tell them, "Hey, we could go a long period of time without being able to eat." And so, you know, prefrontal, they'll gorge themselves. That's when you catch your twenty six pound bag. They move up there in four foot of water and they eat everything that moves. And then when that post front comes and that temperature drops, they go find them a log in eight foot of water and they put their ass right on that log and they just sit there and there's just a lump on the log. They ain't going to eat nothing. They're not going to react to nothing because instinctually they're going, I need to preserve my body, preserve my energy. Cause I'm going to have to sit here for three weeks before I get to eat another bait fish. Yeah. I really believe that's, you know, I really believe that's how, how a lot of that works. And, but going back to the original, um, I, you know, I read a study about those bass and, you know, they were talking about, they were tagging bass in Texas that some of them would get tagged the 10 pounder, And that 10 pounder would lived at that boat ramp and it lived at that boat ramp until it died or until it was caught and took somewhere else. 
And then they had other bass, dude, that would swim 150 miles back to that's the pocket crazy. that it was spawned in. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, and so, that's like me walking to your house. Seriously, dude. I mean, it's it's insanity. It's insanity that those bass swim that far, but it's like they know instinctually where they came from, and they want to go back to that area. And, you know, a lot of people will be like, listen, fish aren't that smart, not that smart. And, you know, I don't think there's any intelligence involved in it, but, I mean, you've got salmon that yeah, that are that. yeah born in a stream, and they go swim thousands of miles out into the ocean and then by scent can track their way back to the exact stream that they were born in. And so, you know, yeah, when you're dealing with an animal, man, that's driven by instincts, that's the thing about, about fishing, dude, is we're dealing with something that has a brain. And I mean, that brain can do some crazy, crazy stuff because, you know, they don't rationalize. They're just driven by instincts. And if their instinct says run, dude, they just freaking run. If they say eat, they say eat. I mean, it's just, there's no in between with it. Yep. So, dude, that's what I think just makes, you know, all my buddies, I got buddies who play football and baseball and all that. And like, I think that's what just makes our sport so just challenging and wild and awesome. It's just a baseball or a football is just, it's, it's not a living, breathing, moving, active creature. It's just, yeah, it's, it's consistent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And we're constantly battling something else, yep. not even competitors. That's secondary. It's yep. the fish, like, dude, it it drives me nuts, man. Yeah, I mean, if it I, ain't the I fish, truly, it's the weather, right? Yeah, and I truly don't, I don't believe that we really know a lot about what the fish do. Like, you take a guy like, you know who Michael Murphy is? Uh, no. I think he used to be on the FLW Tour, but he fished, like, opens and stuff as well, Costas. Uh, and he was, like, a a biology major, I believe. And he did his like thesis study on, I think it was crawfish mm-hmm. or bass or how, what, what I can't, I don't remember, but like, dude, I feel like if you want to be a hammer, mm-hmm. you just go study. Mm-hmm. Like, but there's not much out there. I've tried to look, you know, you can pull up like Georgia DNR reports on, you know, our bass and Georgia and what they believe they do. But dude, and I talk with a lot of people around like Lanier about what our spotted bass do. I don't think anybody knows, dude. No, and I want to go, dude, I want to tag them and figure it out because it's just, you just know, you don't know how they react to certain things or what these fish do. Or like we were just talking about how far do they go? Yeah. Yeah. If you release them on a point, are those same fish going to stay there? And, dude, I'll be honest. Like, there's a guy on Lake Oconee who does this, supposedly, and there's nothing wrong with it. But, dude, like, couple, if he fishes the, a couple days during the week before a tournament, he'll box his fish, dump them in one laydown or one pocket and come back and whack them. Yeah. And, like, if I'm on Lanier during the week, man, practicing for a tournament, practicing for – or scouting for a, a client trip – Dude, I'll I'll box some fish and take them to a stretch that I know they'll stay on, and mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I that know, proves. Dude. I think that proves too that like I think some of those fish say I think some of those fish go. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I I think it's just a game that we play. You know, and you're right, dude. There's not a ton. I mean, I know the only real research that I've found, um, like like good, like credible, like 
university-based research, right? That's got a bunch of funding behind it or yeah. research funded by like a DNR service. Um, and really all of it has to do with spawning and how bass spawn. And yeah. a lot of it has yeah. to do with breeding like the G bass and the uh, tiger bass and the, you know, all those different strains in the Florida strain basses. And I mean, you know, you really look at that and you look at those studies and man, you know, a lot of the studies scientifically they've proven that bass spawn primarily on time of day and secondary water temperature, right? And the more that you deal with Florida stream bass, the more you're dealing with, you know, water temperature. And the more you deal with northern stream bass, the more you're dealing with eyesight. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, the farther you get north, the colder the water stays later on into the year, right? And then they, they have found that with those northern stream bass, what really set them off isn't time of day, but moon phase. That, you know, you'll hit a full moon and then those bass will go. And so, you know, that's really the only good research I've seen. And, you know, there's a few good tagging programs out there. Um, You know, the Sherlunker program in Texas is one. That was actually that where I read that study about the one that swam like 150 miles back to the pocket it was spawned in was that. Um, was that that research project? But I actually want to get a wildlife resource officer on the podcast and like ask some scientific questions. You know what I mean? Like, I actually I want to get a biologist yeah. on the podcast and like ask yeah, him man. these questions. You know what I mean? Yep. And dude, I, I mean, it, I, it's all just so intriguing to me. And as a tournament angler, I think I really like looking just self evaluating. I need to. I need to get back to like the times where I was really putting in work, just studying, you know, mm-hmm. reading all I can just about seasonal patterns, what different strains of fish do. Like, um, you know, like had I read that study you're just talking about, I might have been like, okay, man, like it's still January. The days are still short. They know it's still winter, even though the water is 61 degrees. Don't get so gung ho on them being moving up pretty small mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and that just goes back to show that like to be a better angler dude knowledge is everything absolutely like like other 10 percent is like technical stuff like learning how to flip yep. and whatnot. but dude i just yeah and, oh dude and, and i like i want to go ahead buddy you're a little lag but go ahead go ahead what I was going to say is the thing that I hate about the fishing community is how tight-lipped it is. And I understand it because, you know, we're, as tournament guys, we're competing against each other and you don't want to give somebody up an edge over you. But at the same time, dude, I want to freaking learn as much as I can about it. Mm-hmm. And unless you, like, I don't know, like, Tim Cody Huff, he's leading the tournament right now. Dude's a straight hammer. Mm-hmm. But he grew up fishing with Rick Klein. Yeah. That's awesome. You know? Yeah. And it's just, there's just not, there's not much out there on like just hardcore, just information about bass fishing and what they do. Yeah. There's a ton based around baits and techniques and stuff, but I don't think anybody's done a really good job on the super, super in-depth stuff 
as far as knowledge behind everything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Dude, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. People don't know. Yeah, like, I couldn't I do. do it because I don't know. Yeah, and I think I think the reason people don't know is because we've not so so two things. We've not dedicated enough time to bass, right? Um, yeah. you know, there's a lot of biologists that work on things like this all day long, right? I mean, they come up with the the krill limits and they come up with the how many we can keep a day and da 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 da. Yeah. I mean, they come up yeah. with the stocking programs and all that, but that information isn't really being shared with us uh very effectively. But then too, there's not a ton of science dedicated to bass fishing because i just don't think the money's there it's not something like sheep hunting or elk hunting or something where you know millions and billions of dollars are spent to go out and hunt an elk every year you know what i mean and there's billions of dollars spent on fishing but bass fishing as a sub segment of that just doesn't have a ton of of money coming into it and so you know like these these biologists go out here and they go okay we got to take care of this entire 36,000 acre fishery and within this 36,000 acre fishery we've got eight biologists that need to take care of bass catfish carp muskies you know perch blah 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 name all the game fish that you can right and all the other species and then you got to have the the you know the indicator species and then you got to have the you know all this different all these different species that they have to take care of and there's not a guy sitting all day long just studying bass right and so when that doesn't happen you don't got this information um but dude i do totally i mean so agree that information is key i think you become a better bass fisherman by by three main factors time on the water when you can know just by experience what's going to happen i think you have an advantage fishing around guys that are better than you um, that's something I've had a privilege of doing several times and I've learned so much is to fish around somebody that's better than you. And I, I'll be honest, none of those situations were tournament situations. I feel like when you co-angle, co-angler in a boat, you, you kind of get hindered because you get backboated and the dude's not really communicating with you. I mean, actually going out on the water with someone that is willing to communicate with you and have a conversation and let you on the front of the boat and show you what they're looking at. I mean, do great example of this. I've learned more about electronics from Ben Nowak than I've ever learned before. And it's because I'm on the front of the boat and he's showing me live. I've learned more about swim bait fishing from Chris Sumrall and Caleb than I've learned from anybody else because I'm on the front of the boat with them and they're describing what they're seeing, right? And then I think number three is, like you said, dude, I mean, being willing to go, I dig, man. I mean, like, I, Bethany, anybody is around you will tell me. I'm constantly on my phone, which is probably not a good thing, but I'm constantly reading something or listening to a podcast. Like, I, you know, I listen to the Bass Talk Live podcast, not because I want to listen to entertainment, but I'm listening for little things that probably other people miss. Or when I watch a bass fishing, yes, exactly. When I watch a bass fishing TV show, I'm not going, oh, he caught a bass. I'm going, that's not a Berkeley jerkbait. What kind of jerkbait is that? And I'll pause the TV and literally look to see what kind of jerkbait that is and then go research it. I mean, I found the whole line of bladed jigs that, that Jordan Lee used to win his first MLF event and they're JDM baits that you can only get out of Japan. And, yeah. you know, there's something about that, right? There's something about that. Yeah. Or I'll go yeah. and search up, like, those articles. I mean, I'll go literally type in, you know, university research projects on bass 
and you know lo- go just explore. I mean, University of Alabama. God hate them. Roll Tide. Um, they've got all kinds of awesome stuff about bass fishing, man. I mean, they've dedicated a immense amount of resources and time to to bass and breeding bass. That's actually where the the strain of bass came from that they put in Chickamauga that grows into those absolute giants that we have. So, yeah, I agree, man. Yeah, I agree, yeah, dude. I I would love to see like MLF or Bassmaster taking initiative on on trying to get some more research on behind the sport. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. yeah, and you know, that's why I advocate so hard for like everybody says we're growing the sport of bass fishing. We're growing the sport of bass fishing. And I've said this before. We're growing pocketbooks is what we're doing. Yeah. Growing the sport of bass fishing isn't getting Coke as a sponsor. Growing the sport of bass fishing is funding research projects so that people can literally like you say like we can find more out about bass. You know what I mean? That's to me, what's going to grow the sport conservation, keeping public lands public so that we can hunt and fish on them and researching this creature that we go out and catch. You know what I mean? And I think the more that we know about it, the better that we can take care of it. It's just like a deer, man. I mean, like the more that we know about deer, the better that we can take care of them in the long run. Yep. So, yep. I don't know, bud. It is. It's. It is, man. I mean, it's a. It's a battle. It's a battle that I'm gonna keep fighting. I'm gonna keep fighting the good fight for for the conservation side of things, man. I mean, I really, I really do believe in that. I mean, because if you look and and see kind of what guys like Steve Ranella have done for hunting, um, I think that there needs to be a guy like that for fishing. So this is going to take all of us kind of cha- having a mindset change of how we need to take care of the resource. So, yep, yep. So I got you for, I'm going to go for a few more minutes here. Um, I, I want to at least go to about 10 o'clock, I think. But what is your world look like right now as far as winter bass fishing on like Lake Lanier, Okoe, all those kinds of things? Like what's, what's it look like for you? As far as how I'm going to, how I approach it and catch yeah, stuff out there. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what's if, yeah. you know, say, hey, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to try to catch a fish. Like, what are you throwing? What are you looking for? What's the whole like out, outlook on things? things so i like i like doing two things well, i like doing a lot of things but if i'm if it's winter fishing i'm dragging or i'm cranking and that's mm-hmm. totally dependent on the weather if i don't have wind i don't pick up a crankbait like i just don't i have no confidence in it i feel like you need some current and whatnot at least on lanier um Oconee's trash in the winter so i'm just gonna throw that out we'll focus on lanier um like for that BFL next week, I'll be honest. I haven't been on Lanier, and I've been on Lanier maybe twice in the past month and a half, two months, just with uh, the holidays and getting ready for this tournament and all that good stuff. Um, so when I get there, um, when I go to get on the water next week and kind of start figuring out what I'm going to do Saturday, I'm going to start deep. I'll probably start around 40 feet. Last year. I don't know if you kept up with the Elite Series tournament that was on Lanier, but we had mm-hmm. high water. And so all winter last year, dude, they had an abundance of, like, crawfish habitat to all the rock and stuff that was in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they stayed up. And last year, I freaking whacked them on a DT-10, just fishing, like, steep channel swing banks and points with wind on them. And that was it. And that ran from November to, like, March. 
because they just stay, dude. And I mean, I didn't have a day I caught less than 16, honestly. Wow. And it was just, it was stupid. But this year is yeah. a lot different. Um, winter fishing on Lanier, dude, I mean, the spots, they follow the bait. That's just how it is. You've got two groups, I think. You've got herring eaters and you've got crawfish eaters. Mm-hmm. I like going for the crawfish ones. I think that on average, the size is bigger. You've just got a better, you know, that three to five pound class fish is feeding on crawfish, uh, probably for protein reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have a lot more numbers that feed on the bait fish. Um, and so if you're going to target the bait fish, eating fish, you're going to be looking at ditches, you know, which when I say a ditch, it's a different kind of ditch than what we were just talking about. I'll just be totally honest. I thought you said bitches for just a minute. So I'm glad, I'm glad we clarified (laughs) that you said ditches. Yeah. I'm looking for the bitches. I am looking for the bitches. You look for the big bitches, bitches, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Look in the ditches, which is, is not a, like two foot change in like a point or a flat like we were just talking about it's like the straight up gut of a of like the creek or a pocket mm-hmm. so you know i'll you can eat there's two ways to do it you can idle it or just set your troll motor down and so lanier's man-made lake so we've still got timber standing timber down there mm-hmm. and what these ditch bass will do is say you have the timber coming and like jut out a little bit and come back in mm-hmm. there that's where they're gonna be sitting it's the timber creates a point within itself and so that's just kind of the stuff i look for dude you can break down these ditches to find out where the the schools of spots and by schools i'm not saying the hundred fish school you know you might have a group of 10 mm-hmm. or five mm-hmm. um and you just target those high percentage areas within the ditches so it can be you can look on your map and see where, you know, the 20 foot zone kind of comes out and makes a point mm-hmm. or whatever. Or if you're mm-hmm. idling it, you're looking for that point the timber makes. You're looking for a rock pile. It's just something different to break mm-hmm. it down. It's an ambush point, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And to target those fish, you know, drop shot is a classic. Uh, you, a fish head spin is great. Um or shaky head. That's pretty much what I stick to. Yeah. Um, Do you ever drop on them? Like, dude, it's it's been so tough to lately. They're too smart now, I think. Really? I, I can't even tell you the last time I dropped on a fish on one ear. Wow. In, in fact, I turn my graph off a lot of the time just because they know. Yeah, um, they know that sound. Yeah. You know, they feel the, their lateral line, they can feel that pain. Yeah. And... I try to stay as far up. No, I mean, like a lot of guys, they drop on them with a spoon and catch them. But I don't know. I just, I don't do it. I hate spoon fishing. I hate it. Yeah. I'd rather just pin them on a shaky head and know I'm going to put them in a boat. Yeah. 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 But that's how you catch those, that group of fish. And for the crawfish eaters, um, if the wind's blowing, I'm throwing a red crankbait. And otherwise, I'm dragging a shaky head. And that's it. Yeah. So, do you feel like like the crawfish eaters? Those are those are the bigger fish. You feel like because I mean, I would feel like that those herring eaters, as much as they move, they kind of just stay skinny. Where those crawdad eaters just kind of get tubby and want to sit on the bottom and not do much. 
Well, I, I kind of neglected to mention like a group of fish. So, like local Lanier people, we call herring eaters mm-hmm. like the biggins, right? Okay. So there's when I said herring eaters, most of those fish are actually feeding on like smaller bait fish. Like mm-hmm. we've got other like thread fins and stuff in there, mm-hmm. uh, and at least from what I've seen, dude, over the past couple, like two or three years, I've seen more fish kind of get off the herring and get on that smaller stuff. Mm-hmm. And the ha- the true herring eaters are giants, dude. Really? Like, you find big herring and a lot of them, they, they just roll with a striper, dude. Straight Dang. <laughs> Dang. And yeah, like they're big ones. They're big boys and they can, they can fend for themselves. Um, so, but like the, the actual herring eaters, they're giants. They really are. The wow. other ones that key in on bait fish, yeah, I do feel like they are smaller than crawfish eaters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, it's just one of those other things, man. We just, I, I don't know. I don't know much about them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I know, yeah. hey, I can usually go get a bite on this stretch, but. I can't always tell you exactly what they're doing or why they're there because they mm-hmm. blow my mind every time I go out. Yeah. I feel like those fish too, man, those spots. I mean, my experience with spots is they are just a, they're like ghosts, man. I mean, like they're there and then they're not there and then they're there and they're not there. And then all of a sudden they'll scare the shit out of you because they'll be blown up behind you on bait fish and then they're gone. You know what I mean? It's just like, they're crazy. They're crazy. It, they are. And I always tell people Lanier's a wild west and Dude, some days, some days it's awesome. Some days you get shot. Like, it's just bad. But, yeah. And that's why, dude, I think because of that, now, I'm not throwing shade here because this applies to me, but um, a lot of the tournament guys you see that are Lanier guys, per se, mm-hmm. um, dude, don't really do well across the country because it doesn't translate. Yeah. Yeah. Those fish are so wild, dude. You, you can't really take anything other than technique. Like I'm very proficient with a kayak and a drop shot and shaky head and offshore fishing and just using my graphs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But as far as like what those bass do, you can't really apply that to other lakes other than, potential other herring lakes so like Hartwell, you can mm-hmm. apply that knowledge mm-hmm. but did toledo bend no you know yeah like i, I don't know but it, that's something that's a trend that i see w- with myself and other guys as they fish the tour and the opens and whatnot that i i think it's very hard to just to translate those your knowledge on a lake like that to any other kind of bass yeah, it is, dude. And I mean, that is hard. I think I think that's what makes dudes, you know, from my area so good is like, you know, the fact that we've got just a little bit of everything. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I've got a herring lake within two hours of me. I've got a deep clear reservoir within two hours of me. I've got Chickamauga within two hours of me. I've got, you know, the toughest lake in the U.S., in my opinion, Mountain Hill, to, you know, 30 minutes from me. I mean, dude, like, in like, there's just so much that I can go do at any one time that I have like a smattering of everything. Right. But I'm not good. Yeah. I'm not like really good at anything in particular, but I can yeah. pick up anything and try to figure it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. 
I, so. that's something like I've told myself, dude, I've almost, I've almost, so uh, in college still, right. Mm-hmm. It, there's nowhere in Athens to keep my boat. So I just rent a storage unit on Lanier and keep my boat there. And I thought, I've thought to myself so many times I need to yank it out of there and go put it on somewhere that has large mouth because I'm such a one dimensional angler. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of break it down. This is just my little analogy. You got 1D, 2D, and 3D anglers, right? Mm-hmm. Three species of bass, smallmouth, spots, largemouth. I'm, I'd say I'm like a 2D angler. Like, I'm good at spots and smallmouth. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, when I came up there to Cherokee, that felt like home, right? Mm-hmm. When I went up to New York at the St. Lawrence River, that's my deal. Now, as far as largemouth, dude, just it ain't it. I got a lot of work to do. And like yeah. you said, bro, I feel like a lot of those Tennessee anglers out in northern Alabama guys. Oh, yeah. Those, Lord are, those are 3D anglers. Like, they're yep. the high caliber guys. And that's yep. why you see guys like Mark Daniels move from California Delta to Alabama mm-hmm. because it's the heart of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Or uh, I think there's another guy who just moved there. Or you see Carl oh. Jockinson move up to your area. Yeah, know? dude, there's been so many guys come into Tennessee. Um, I mean, like, you know, you had Wheeler moved in here. Carl Jobson moved in here. Um, what's that other guy? Um, Matt Heron. He moved. He moved not too far from me. I mean, he won on Watts Bar, the BFL they had down there. And I mean, you know, these dudes come here because they know. I mean, they know like what it. You know, the, there's just so much to do around here, dude. And like, there's so many lakes that people that I don't even that I don't even mention that have. You know, you can go get a completely different fishing experience out of one lake than the other. I mean, you can learn how to fish a northern lake, like a Great Lakes lake, without ever leaving the state of Tennessee if you know where to go and look for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's insanity. And but I agree, man. I mean, I would say I'm two D. I'm I can catch largemouth and I can catch smallmouth, but the spots still blow my mind. I mean, they are yeah. just. I've caught them, yeah, but, I mean, I don't know how to catch them. You know what I mean? And, like, Ben makes yeah. fun of me all the time. You know, when I go up north, I'm, we could literally be on a lake that has, like, one or two largemouth in it, and somehow I will catch the largemouth in that lake. Like, dude, I just largemouth is my deal. I mean, like, I just know yeah. grass and, <laughs> and, you know, like, you know, rivers and just that kind of stuff is just where I live. You know what I mean? That's what I like to do. Yeah. So. It's funny you say that because yesterday we weighed in three spotted bass on Toledo. Oh, Lord of mercy. Lord, who even knew that from... spotted bass were in there, dude? <laughs> I was pissed. I was like, you're kidding. That's funny, but, man. Yeah, man. Well, it it sounds like you got a good season, though, ahead of you, man. I mean, the the college stuff seems like it's sitting up for you good. You're going to have some smallmouth stuff. You're going to have some spot stuff. You know, the largemouth stuff, you, you should still be able to do well in. I mean, dude, I feel I feel like you're going to do good this year. Yeah, dude, I'm hopeful, man. I mean, like, I'm really still trying. I mean, me and you have talked about this before, just the, I guess, just the legitimacy of, of going pro, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will have to see how this season goes for me. I don't I haven't made up my mind on what I want to do. I, if I had the opportunity to go fish the Opens, I would. But the reality is, man, I graduate in May. Mm-hmm. And it's either, you know, find a job or like be a rug rat, you know, mm-hmm. like so. But yeah, man, just rest of the season. I'm looking forward to it. I think this will definitely be the 
toughest tournament for me. Um, but yeah, dude, I'm seriously really looking forward to Smith Lake and Hartwell. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you what, man, you know, I think it's, um, depending on how you want to do it, you know, and we've, we've had several conversations about this, you know, what it looks like for you and what, you know, what you're going to do. Um, I think that, you know, the whole FLW thing, the way that it's set up now, even though a lot of guys don't like it, uh, I believe it's a, it's a, it's a great way for a lot of guys to get into fishing and not have to spend the $1,900 entry fees. Right. But you're still able to fish for something. And, um, you know, and then obviously you've got the opens and all that kind of stuff, but I think, I think, dude, I see you doing great things. And I think if, if you can, if you can figure a few more pieces of the puzzle out that you'll be one deadly son of a bitch. I'll tell you that much. Like, I think you're getting there, man. It's just, it's just getting it. You know what I mean? It's, it takes a lot yeah. of practice, dude. And, you know, I, I, I dedicated myself to being a, a river rat and, and being a dude that straps a camera to myself. And I think that you've dedicated yourself to going out there and whooping up on people. And I think that, I think, I think the reckoning's coming, my dude. I think it's coming. Yeah, dude. It's just like, man, and we've talked about this before, dude. I'm a firm believer that everybody's got a path laid out, and and man, it's just gonna it's just gonna depend on if those doors are open for me or not. Um, yep. You know, God's opened opened some doors for me, and He's shut some right in my face. So we'll just see how the next couple months go, dude. See what happens. It in in my mind, it's a now or never situation because when I'm 30. And hopefully married and hopefully have kids on the way i don't want to be on the road and do it man mm-hmm. you know yep. I, I think optimal deal for me would be to qualify within the next two or three years and then lay it down in my early 30s and you know go work for corp- do corporate marketing somewhere yep and be at home yep so, and dude hey there's yeah, nothing dude. wrong with that nothing wrong with that nope, man there's not and nope. you know i i tell people all the time it's it's timing man it's timing it's timing in a lot of ways it's timing in a lot of ways not only for yourself and knowing what the timing is but understanding that sometimes it's just not your time you know what i mean yep. and yep. that is something i struggled with with this whole youtube thing i mean here's the deal man i'm i'm one or two videos at any one point from from being a hundred two hundred thousand subscriber channel i know that and i just firmly believe that my timing is not right yet you know what I mean? I believe yep. if I look back a year ago to where I'm at now, and I'll probably look back from a you know a year from now and then a year into the future, I get better every year and I gain skills every year and I learn things every year and I've not learned everything. And I know I'm not going to learn everything, but I think that there's a point at which all the learning and all the hard work and all the dedication and all the grinding and all the just passion for it kind of collides and when that happens is when the timing happens and that's when you do great things. You know what I mean? And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, we live in an instant gratification kind of world, man. And like people just aren't willing to work for it. And I've never been handed it. You've never been handed it. And we both know it's just, it's a grinder, dude. We got to grind. And and that's what we're good at. I mean, we got to grind it, but dude, so, but man, I appreciate you coming on and spending some time with me. Uh, hopefully, yeah. hopefully this kept you a little bit awake on the drive back, man. Oh yeah, dude. I appreciate the opportunity. Eat up yeah, an hour or two of my drive. There you go, man. Well, listen, you're welcome. You're welcome. Absolutely. Anytime, anytime. And you know, 
you need to get up here. I got a room for you to sleep in. You're welcome at my house anytime, and we'll go we'll go slam some bass, dude. Oh yeah, it's on it's on the schedule. There you go, there you go. Well, everybody, I want you to go down in my description. Um, there's 63 of you mugs still in here. Go down in my description. I have a link for Nathan's guiding service. He guides on Lanier. Go check out his website. Hit that link. Give it a look. Um, do you have like schedules and everything on there, or like kind of what it looks like for you, or what what that looks like? I have a calendar on there, but I haven't updated it with all my days. I'll be off for like tournaments and stuff. So the best thing would just be to give me a call. Okay. All right. Then your number's on the website. Yes, sir. All right. So links down there. Give Nathan a call if you want to go check out some linear spots. I highly, highly suggest going and doing this. this dude's a hammer. He knows where they live. And I could promise you, even if you don't catch fish, which I highly doubt that's a possibility, but if you don't catch fish, you're going to learn something from him. Because like I said, Nathan has a lot of skills that I don't have. He knows a lot of things that I don't know. And he knows how to catch fish in ways that other people don't know how to. So you're going to learn something from this dude. So go down there, hit that link. I've got it all down below so you can check it out. I'm also going to link Nathan's Instagram. Go follow him on Instagram. Um, you guys can check out all the awesome pictures that he posts of him long arm and spot. I mean, holding up big spots <laughs> and uh, all that kind of stuff. But, dude, I really thank you for coming on. Um, and uh, I think we're going we're gonna to end this podcast up right here. So, as always, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. As always, you guys are sweet, and we will see you later.